podcast world what's up chad belding back at you another episode of this life ain't for everybody again thank you all so much for the growth the support of the podcast thank you for subscribing and leaving us ratings and reviews we've had some awesome guests lately and today is no different when you talk about where i'm sitting right now i'm sitting at the national wild turkey federation convention and that happens at the gaylord opry center in the town of Music City, USA, Nashville, Tennessee, the home of my guest today that literally has, um, let me let me figure out how to explain this. He is taking an art that people think would be easy, and that is the art of songwriting. And I'm going to talk about songwriting today. I'm sitting with arguably the top songwriter in the country. Now, he's going to be humble, and he's going to say there's a lot of them, which there are. And he knows them all, and he's worked with them all, and he's written with them all. Bobby Pinson. Thank you for being here. How you doing, my friend? Oh, Bobby, it's like, I think about when I see you, I'm like, how does he do that shit? <laughs> and it never ceases to like, you would think that you'd get lucky once in a while. Well, you know, I think everybody's good at something, you know, and you just figure out. I always tell everybody, we don't write these songs, we just catch them when they fall. You know, the good ones that have done this a long time. Uh, everybody can maybe have maybe have some water, but the, the trick is to have the well. You know, and just to do it for a long period of time. I tell people, you don't break into the music business. You just stay in the music business. And it'll wean and it'll wane. It'll come and it'll go. And, and I've, you know, managed to do this for a really long time. I tell everybody I moved to Nashville 25 years ago, and I didn't know anybody. And now I've been here long enough and done well enough to not know anybody again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it's just it's like the hunting industry or anything else. You just kind of have to do your brand and kind of be aware of what's around you. But at the same time, just kind of be true to yourself because nobody else will be if you're not. And, and I think you can apply that to most things. But how do you explain doing it to so many different audiences? Because you you have number ones with so many different artists. Sure. And those artists have different audiences. And then those audiences have evolved, just like you're talking about the people that live in Nashville have evolved sure. and changed. So you're going from a girl that might have been 18 when she heard a Toby Keith hit. Now you got a Brother Osborne hit or an Eric Church hit that's being listened to by another 18-year-old sure. girl when this girl's 28 or 30 now. And I think my demographic is the artist that I'm working with. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm not mindful of who's listening to it. You know, I say that songwriters are the people that bring the music to the people that bring the music to the people. You know, uh, I'll go into an Eric Church ride or I'll go into a Dirk Bentley situation or I'll go into whoever I think, you know, might use one of these songs not everything is casted specifically for the artist at the time that we're writing it but it always helps if i'm sitting with an artist to kind of know the temperature of the room and what what makes them tick you know and i kind of point point there first versus saying hey how can i say this to you know 300,000 people i just go how can i get this particular idea that i think this guy could own and take it on his own and how do we make it his idea and that and that's the deal you know songwriters again are the guys that are, you know, our, our true talent is we're just kind of wingman with words, you know, and and uh, we just hang out, you know, with some pretty cool people. And uh, I, over the years, you know, I've seen it from all angles. I was an artist, you know, years ago uh, when I was skinny with muscles. I ate that guy. But uh <laughs> tasted like bacon and gravy <laughs> and crown. But, uh, you know, I've had a really good time. Uh, watching these guys have good times with my songs you know and and uh I've, i have a really cool life and i can go into walmart and and watch people you know singing the music version of my songs and them not know i'm standing there and that to me is probably the coolest thing about it you said something there that i want to hit on is that do you always know which artist you're writing that certain song for when you sit down is that your style you're saying now there's so many different entities you know uh different times of year i'm doing different things in the spring when they're touring i'm on the buses with a lot of these artists you know that'll call me and hey why don't you come out this weekend and 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 i'll know specifically what i'm doing for a particular artist you know sometimes on these tours there's several different artists or there's a writer retreat where there's a couple of different artists and we're off in the mountains somewhere writing songs for a particular artist so we know the target but the rest of the time if you and i are writing a song on a random tuesday and I say, hey, man, who do we got looking right now? You know, and we kind of cast these songs. Well, it's Dirk's Bentley's season. Okay, well, then we're going to do something that might could be him. And not necessarily that we're pointing for him. You know, there's, sometimes you can point for a Kenny Chesney, and if you miss, it'll trickle down. And we miss all the time. We may not miss the song, but we, we just don't get the cut. You know, it's like uh, they're like, hey, have you ever written for George Strait? I'm like, all the time. He just had to cut him. You know, it's, it's just one of those things where I am having, you know, 
a pretty good little run here. This is my fourth run. Uh, and you're lucky if you get one, you know, you're blessed to that's get a, one That's run, what blows so. me away is you just keep having these runs where two years ago, I'm like, well, maybe Bobby doesn't ride anymore. And then all of a sudden, right. let, let's go over him just this year in 2019. You, first of all, you're up for a Grammy. <laughs> yeah, which is, swinging to me is there, but it was fun but, just to be honored. But how awesome is that? It was really cool. It was my first Grammy uh, nomination. You know, I've been up for uh, CMA awards and I've won CMA awards and ACM awards. Uh, pretty much all the award type shows I've had awards in and songs in but this is my first Grammy and you can't fake a Grammy you know some of this stuff is kind of can be political can be whatever but just to, to be honored in that way was a, was a personal accomplishment you know it's funny in the music business it's like you spend half your life trying to get here and then you spend the other half acting like you're not here you know it's like be cool you know it's like but it's hard to fake a Grammy and it was hard to just be humble about that one I'm not the, not that I was humble but it's it's just very humbling to to go. Wow, this really did happen. How, I was proud of. How it. do they notify you? How, who calls you? How does it happen? There's committees, you know, and and on on nomination day, they reach out to everybody, and you know, in my particular case, they they contacted my uh, publisher and said, hey, you know, this song that you guys publish, and I'm a publisher too, so I got nominated. I mean, so I got notified, um, and it was cool. It was, you know, by the time I got notified, I already heard, you know, from who. From my publisher. So okay, how, how who, who, what is the phone call like between you and the artist? Is there one that takes place that day? Like, hey, what's up, man? Well, you know, I reached out to Eric because it was a song called Some of It for Eric Church. And, uh, you know, we spoke about it. We're excited. And are you going? Yeah, I'm going. Are you going? I'm going to try. You know, that kind of thing. And, and uh, it's interesting because, you know, the Grammys, they give, I don't know, over 100 Grammys away. But you on TV, you only see the eight or nine kind of pop artists you know at night but the grammys really happen in the daytime so it's, it's more of a, like a daytime deal and it was cool it was it was odd this year uh simply just because with the kobe thing happening literally as we're walking on the red carpet and the phones are lighting up and it's just interesting to be standing there on the red carpet with all these famous people and little nods looking down on his phone and getting a text right in front of me that kobe died it's it's just it's interesting uh, to just kind of watch the world break at the same time you know a lot, yeah. a lot of heart broke at the same time there and a lot of famous arts, and it just kind of changed the day. It just changed the mood a little, you know, a lot. What makes Eric Church the superstar he's become? Is it does he have something that you see an artist that he that a lot of them don't have? Because he's kind of a rebel. He's kind of close to outlawish a little bit. He does. He seems to walk to the beat of his own drum. Is that fair yeah, to say? It is, and you know. He'll be un misunderstood sometimes because he, his power is that he doesn't need, you know. Uh, I mean, everybody needs, everybody needs help. You know, everybody's got a team. It takes a bunch of people for a guy to be himself. You know, he's got a great team. He's got a lot of people that understand Eric Church. So that's the very first thing is that he's had a lot of people specialize in leaving him alone. And it wasn't like that early in his career, but he's kind of gotten to that place, and that was his fight and his struggle, and he got out of it. And now he's in a position where he can just – be here at church you know he's not the guy that's going to walk over to you and say how are you doing so there's power in knowing people got to walk over to you and ask you how you're doing and, and the same way with him musically he's just he's just Eric church whether you're asking what he's doing or not and you know he's one of those guys that uh, he doesn't pull any punches and he doesn't mind them either you know I mean he he'll take his heat and he'll do his thing and and uh, I think there's power in that do you do you and, I, and you don't have to answer this if, if you don't want. And I often think about this with, and I want, I want to lead into Leith. With the talent that you have, and you had a hit single on the radio, you, were, you had a top five, is that, or was it top ten? Top ten. What, what does Nashville do with somebody like you that gets you out of that spot? And I know that I already know that, that you're solidified in this spot as a songwriter. Sure. But why doesn't somebody like you break when you are the one that has that talent to the, not sure. just write the song, but you have a great voice and you can deliver the song, you're, you know how to read music and write music and play music, what is it that you see in somebody like Eric Church that can sell out this tour this year to where two nights in a row he's selling out all these different cities and stadiums, and then you're the guy that's giving him the, the, the bullets to go out there and shoot? You know what I'm trying to ask? Is like, sure. why can't a guy like Bobby Pinson be? be, <laughs> well, be that's a whole other bottle of whiskey right there, buddy. <laughs> Uh, it we're is. Gonna, we're going to need a whole other uh, national is it, but okay, wild is turkey there, federation. Is, is there bitterness? Not at all. You know, uh, I think 
upset at first, you know, just because when something that you put your heart and soul in, you think you wanted. But sometimes what you think you want is not what you're really after. Uh, and uh, I didn't necessarily love some of that gig, you know. Uh, it wasn't what I thought it was. I love making songs. I care about my songs. Not Famous is the wrong word because it's such a broad brush and, and, and sometimes can sound a little trivial. But I wanted my songs to be heard. I wanted them to be known. I wanted my songs to be working in the world in whatever way that they were supposed to work. Whatever, excuse me, whatever emotion they were meant to cause, I wanted my songs to do that. But I've never cared about being the guy that's up there and girls screaming or whatever. That's just not my, that's not my happy. You know, I'm just a married guy, raised a great kid, and, and I want to see my family more days than night, you know, and raise, and, and raise my cows. So, you, so based on what you're telling me is that your attitude and your, and your approach has a lot to do with the end game. That that might not necessarily where, where you were going to land in Nashville. Sure, you had a different path. I think God got me out of my own way and and didn't know that I was in my own way. You know, I just think uh, everybody says everybody always says, "How do you become a songwriter?" I'm like, "That's easy. Get a record deal, piss your record label off, and prove you're a songwriter." You know, <laughs> ta da. But uh, I, I just think there was a struggle of it. Just wasn't as real to me as I wanted it to be. That particular process, just that job that function of being an artist and the things that you go through and and i'm not a big game player you know and there's a lot of games that have to be played and and you know the erics and those guys that you say are go their own road guys but they had to play the game they just kind of got out i just at the point where it got to a pinch point where i'm either going to go forward and do it or not go forward and do it uh i just said you know what i'd rather write songs and you know eat all the carbohydrates i want and let everybody else do it and bullshit and and that's, uh, I don't know if you got to beat that out. but You don't. Uh, you can say whatever you want. You know, that's... Well, so you're talking about a line that was in an Aaron Lewis song when George Jones did the Country Boy song. You just kind of referred to that in a way to where that shit really goes on to where they kind of say, here's how you got to look. Here's what we want. So along those lines, then tell me how a guy like Luke Combs makes it. Because first of all, he can deliver a song. Mm-hmm. The dude has got pipes. He's country. Sure. But... Well, he's, he's not necessarily w- what we're describing, right? I'll say this without throwing anybody under the bus that was had anything to do with my career, but I would simply say this. The guys that got put in a position with enough time for people to play it around their bonfire, play it for their friends, and to let it grow organically like all things that are still around, they all have some kind of grassroots thing. Hey, have you heard this? What about this Luke Combs guy? Have you heard that? And he had time. He got time and place and support. Eric got time and place and support. My deal was kind of thrown against the wall to see what happens. The song did well, but I wasn't, you know, it just didn't work out. I didn't get the support. So I actually have a, probably a bigger following now, um, even as an artist uh, and as a writer, than I ever did when I was doing you know, a performing artist, you know, with a record deal. Um, and Eric, you know, when I put a second album out, Eric bought it, you know, with his own money just before he kind of hit big he's like man I bought your second album it's unbelievable and he, you know he's a fan he's like if there was no Bobby Pinson there wouldn't be any Eric Church he's like you're just early you were just early and but how so, cool is that to hear that kind of shit because that's it's true, true. it's well, we, true we grew up you know kind of in this town together me Eric and Jason Aldean kind of started at the same time and, and uh, those guys are still going and I'm still going in my lane I'm just not doing what they're doing you know? but Do I'm you, happy I think everybody's got their happy oh well I mean that's what I see is like in country music, and you can, again, you you know way more about this town than I do, but in country music, it's easy for the songwriter to be forgotten. You very yeah. rarely hear, well, okay, let's take, let's say this, Amarillo by Morning, and, I, and I'm just throwing George Strait songs around, but does anybody really understand what Dean Dillon did for sure. George Strait's career? It took me maturing into my 30s to understand what songwriting really meant when I really started you know, you would open an album when we were younger and you would read and you would go like the acknowledgements and the thank yous. And then you would see this little thing right under the title of the song written by Saul Hudson or and built in Axl Rose on a GNR album or Dean Dillon wrote this song for George Strait. And I'm like, 
never really hit me how important that was. Sure. And it's almost like a forgotten art to a lot of fans is, is where I'm going with this. You go to a concert, they're out there in the mosh pits and they're out there on the floor and they're all googly-eyed over Garth or whoever it is. They're not thinking about, man, I wonder who wrote that song. Sure. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like a forgotten, a forgotten art where people really need to understand that that is why those musicians are up there. Sure, and you know, there's a handful of folks, that, the people that understand songwriters could care less about the artists. They're all about songwriters, and there's more of them than you would believe. But the huddled masses, for sure, think that all artists wrote their own songs, and a lot of other formats they do. This is one of the few formats that for several years, it was primarily songwriter-driven, and the artists would sing the songs, like a George Strait. Now, more and more artists are writing their own songs with songwriters, you know? Uh, and there's all kinds of boring, uh, you know, information saying why that happens, you know. But uh, uh, with the record deals changing and the, re- you know, and record labels getting more money, uh, more a larger piece from the artists, now they uh, now they ask their artists to write because that's just more money into that, you know, because now they're getting paid as artists, whether they're songwriters or not. And and the game has changed, you know. When you say, when you say. Uh, Where'd you go for a few years? Uh, I just think as you get older, you know, I'm a 47-year-old man writing a song for 23-year-old kids. Wait so, a minute. Wait a minute. How many number ones have you had? Uh, 13. Is there, is, can you talk about who holds the record? Do you know? Yeah. Um, there's a I'm guy. not interrupting you. I want you to go back about what you're writing for. But what, you, you have, just said you're 47 years old and you have 14 number, 13 thir- number? 13 number. How many top fives? Oh, I don't know, 40. Bobby Pinson, come yeah. on, forty-seven years old—is that young for that much success in the songwriting? It is, game? you know. Uh, like I say, you have to do it over a long period of time. There's, there's some folks that come in and have a great year, um, but to, to me to have, you know, I had one songwriter of the year in 2009, and I thought I was going to win it in 2010, and I was really excited about doing the year back to back. But I think if I were to win it again now, it would probably mean more. To know that I did it over space and time, and, and I didn't go away, and I was able to which is what we talked about at the beginning. Somebody else's, somebody else's uh, decade, you know, somebody else when they were having a hot spot, and to be able to stay here. And I think the longevity is the proof in the pudding, if you will. Um, but but the reason that it weans and wanes for everybody, you know, a lot of people my age, when the bro country happened, when the the kids that all went to college together just started writing songs and making tracks in their bedroom or whatever and, and hey man that stuff's not exactly testing bad i mean it, country is is got a larger market share than it has in years you know it's just not my cup of tea i don't have the keys to those cars i can write the song but i don't know a lot of the kids you know and so i had to reinvent myself and just go okay how do i be what i am trying to write the songs that really mean something and 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 the songs that'll you know really touch somebody make them want to call somebody how do i figure out how to do that with these kids that weren't raised that way, you know, that's not musically what they're doing. So fortunately, in the last little bit, I've had some stuff uh, with, with guys that are my age, you know, Eric Church, Jason Aldean, uh, Jake Owen, uh, Dirks Bentley. You know, I'm not having a lot of this. I'm having success with the guys that are my age that are wanting to try to change it and go back to the lyric. And, and, and I think it's just kind of my time because I think it's time for the lyric. I think people are missing that, you know, uh, the moms and dads, our moms and dads that grew up on the old country. They don't listen to it in our format right now. You know, my dad didn't listen to our format. Why would he? Yeah. And, well, and I'm not saying that... There's I'd, some great songs. I'm not trying to tell you time. to agree with my opinion about country radio yeah. today. And I know that it's probably political for you. But you're bringing up a great point of, like, I follow Waylon Jennings' Instagram page. Sure. And when they write, once a week, they'll, they'll write a line of a song. And I read it, and I'm like, what happened to that? Sure. And then I think about your songs, like... And that's really where I want to go next is I just want you to tell me a couple stories because I'm very intrigued on how it happens. Because I wrote a song that's the theme song of this podcast and our TV show. It's called My Foul Life. And I didn't. I wanted to write a song about my lifestyle that wasn't tacky about ducks belly up and, you know, spinning. You know, I didn't want to be tacky. And you've heard some tacky hunting songs. I find it to be one of the most, like, rewarding feelings when somebody goes, man, that's a good song. But I also find it to be the most difficult thing that I have ever tried to process, meaning that songwriting is a science. How does, tell me the story in your version of Made in America. How does this song happen, which become a huge hit for Toby Keith? The lyrics are insanely witty and clever and genius. 
and the way that you wordsmith the the tag in the back of his shirt and it's how funny did, that you say that because that's exactly the line I was going to reference. I, we're out uh, West Point. Uh, we're at West Point. Uh, Toby was playing a show, and Chase Atkins was out with us. And Trace had come on the bus to give uh, Toby a gun as a present for for giving him the tour and letting him be his opening act. And that's just kind of a process that happens, you know, uh, just a gift, just a token of appreciation. He came on and bring him a cool gun. And we got to talking, and he's like, man, Trace says to Toby, I heard you're trying to start jeans made made here in the States. He goes, that's not a, it's not an easy road to hoe, you know. He said, I'm trying to make all my merchandise. And we said, we can't afford it. It's just... Toby's like, yeah, I'm trying to own a jean company. I don't know that we're going to get it done because it's just so hard to make stuff uh, in the States. And, and he goes, I, do you think that they'd pay a little more if they knew it was made in America? Because I don't know that we could risk, you know, trying to do a brand based on that and sell T-shirts at the same time. And when they said that, I just politely got up off the couch. I went back and I wrote, uh, Pay a little more at the store for a tag in the back says USA. You know, uh, and you wrote that right then, right all there. Just gave me and that's all I had. And then when when uh, Trace walked out, I was like, "Hey, this is what I got out. This is my takeaway." He's like, "Oh, I like it." Yeah. And, <laughs> that just uh, gave me goosebumps. We didn't write it then. I went home, and uh, <laughs> a buddy of mine, he's a soap opera star, Scott Reeves. He was uh, he's just a big TV actor, you know, and great guy. And uh, he goes, hey, man, I, I want to write a song. i got a great idea. i got a great idea. So I'll come on over. And he comes over and he goes, my baby's American-made. And I go, yeah, we're about 25 years late on that, buddy. That was a, my a big, baby. That's a big hit. I said, I said, but I had this thing. And just to kind of salvage the, you know, I didn't want to tell him we weren't going to write his idea. I said, but speaking of America, I have this thing. And we just kind of started it. And I wrote a version of the chorus. And, and then I called Tobe. And I'm like, hey, man, remember that tag in the back thing? I said, this is kind of where I took it. And he's like, yeah, let's hit that next time you're out. So so went and, and Wait, finished you, it. Wait, you just called Toby on his cell phone, mm-hmm. and you give him you give him the idea and the theme of the song? Well, he'll do it to me. Like, he'll ride his Harley, you know, and then he'll send me a work tape of him on a motorcycle trying to hum and drive a motorcycle and say, what do you think of this, BP? And he'll, you can hear the Harley in the background, you know, and just humming something, you know. Uh, he called me one day, and he goes, hey, what are you doing? I said, I'm out here spraying my in my backyard, spraying my dump truck, a new uh, new coat of rattle can red. And he goes, well, you're the only friend I got that's going to tell me that today. And I said, well, I like that rattle can red, don't you? He goes, yeah, I do. And I said, uh, holy shit, and, this and that's cool, And that's man. where, that's where uh, beer, beer's come. Uh, beer's, beer's ago. ago. Yeah. In the skull can. I got a hand-me-down forward painted rattle can red. God dang and, uh, it. And he's like, oh, I love that. Oh, man. You go out the next time. And and, and it always helps to have something kind of teed up like that. Sometimes you don't. And he's my brother, you know. So we've been writing songs in our underwear a long time for, you know, just on a bus. And just when you have that relationship with an artist and you have that license to fly. And Toby was, you know, such a strong artist and and still is. But such a confidence level that there, there was none of that push and pull between whose idea was it or Whose melody is it, or who's going to think somebody wrote this? You know, and I've had relationships with artists that are, you know, they'll hear somebody say that Bobby Pinson song and they're upset about it. You know, Toby doesn't care. He knows when he sings it, it's a Toby Key song. He's like, you write your song, you write it like Bobby Pinson would write it, and I'll sing it like Toby Key would sing it. You know, and we always had that, and that's a license to fly. And that, you know, you don't move here to see how much money you can make. You move here for the license to fly, and and that's always been my greatest takeaway with Toby. And, it's what made our relationship so strong over the years. I got a hand-me-down Ford painted rattle can red. Yeah. I mean, four boy tires. If that doesn't make Second if that doesn't make you tire. think of living on a dirt road in mm-hmm. America, growing up in the '70s and '80s, then there's literally you, you you're not going to find it. And then there's a, a a line in there about a skull can. Mm-hmm. It's so American. So. Going back to the song that we were talking about before that of Made in America, when you hear that done live, and you know Toby had that that whole deal that he went through with the with with 9/11 and the Dixie Chicks, and and then mm-hmm. the song that came out after that, and it was like a pledge, you know, it was like listen, you don't f with America, and it literally blew up, like it was unbelievable. Sure. And then you hear the wittiness of the song of Made in America, and you're like, 
the Pledge of Allegiance was under so much attack for years, and you don't hear it like it did because we squashed it. But that song had a line in there about that literally will make you, if you're an American, a true, like, breathing American, and you hear that, you're just like, yes! And I think that that's when people hear that, that's why I think that more, and I know that you're not begging for it, and I know that songwriters don't give a shit, but people got to understand where that came from. Sure. Because Toby Keith delivers it in a way that is so patriotic, but where did it come from? You know what I'm saying? One time I was opening for Travis Tritt, I was in Dallas, Texas as an artist, and I was introducing this song called Shadows of the Heartland that was on my first album. And I was talking about how I grew up, and I said, you know, I said, for those of y'all, are, you could read five minutes on me and know I'm you know, not the most politically correct guy and I really don't give a damn. Uh, and I said, believe it or not, you'd think I'd get that from my daddy because he's got the West Texas cowboy thing. I said, but my mom is an outlaw in her own right. She's been a school teacher her whole life. And, you know, she still prays in school, doesn't care who, you know, her kids still pray every morning. They say the Pledge of Allegiance. She doesn't really care who it pisses off. So I guess, you know, the apple, you know, the tree doesn't grow too far from the apple in that particular case. And I said, and you know, where I'm from, dad is boss and Christ is king. And when I said that, I was like, that someday has got to be a line of the song. Well, the, the, the part about the praying made it made in America. And then the dad is boss and Christ is king. 13 years later, I finally worked it into this new song that I have with uh, Jake Owen. It's at number eight right now. It's climbing. Hopefully, hopefully it'll go to the top. But it was uh, uh, where, I, where I come from getting dressed up, man. Uh, uh, button down shirt, no good pair of jeans, you know, dad was balls and Christ king. And I finally got it in there. Uh, and that's, you just kind of put it in your mind and figure out who needs it and, and where do you do it and how, and how do you color a song. And I, I think good lines always find their place, you know. Uh, we, can, we can come up with the stuff, but it doesn't really come from us, like I said. You know, I, I just feel like we're just conduit. Uh, and and if, if you just kind of clean everything out of your way, all distractions, and just go, God, you know, help me, help, help me put these lines where they go, and that's kind of a, a, a deal I made a long time ago, and and I, and I feel like that's helped me. Do you have to have a master memory? Do you- that's a great question, and I, and I tell everybody, they're like, man, your memory. How do you remember these things? And we all remember the same things. It's just if. If I said, hey, man, what was your favorite day of the seventh grade? You have one. And I do, too. But when I say it, you know, somebody's going to say, have the same memory. Something happened in a, in, a, in a dressing room getting ready for practice. And I'm just going to say it a little different, you know. And I, and I tell young songwriters, I'm like, to learn the craft of songwriting, it's a long process. It's just like collecting tools, you know. It's like... An old man's going to have more cool tools than a young man, you know what I mean? Uh, and so you collect it over time, but you can teach that. You can teach specifically how to write a song. You can take a class on it, and you can learn the parts. You can learn the craft. You can practice it and get better. What you can't do, what you can't teach, is how to wittily say something that makes people want to call somebody or say it in a different way. That's what that's yeah. like sitting here like looking at you and hearing how this happens like literally I don't I always talk about the word envy and I always talk about the word jealousy of like what do you what does it take to get a man there? What does it take to get a woman there? And when I hear you have the ability to do this, it irritates me <laughs> because it sounds so freaking easy. I say quotes to my friends all the time. They laugh, they giggle. But the part of it is that I don't know how to go and write it and put it into the form. And I'm not trying to be a songwriter because I know that I'm not there. But to hear you be able to take that and then 13 years later say, Dad is boss and Christ is king, that's how I freaking live my life. Everybody knew that Dad was boss, even Mom, even though Mom was a good boss. But to hear that line is like, you wrote it 13, you said it on stage opening for Travis yeah. Tritt 13 years previous, and your memory goes, that's yeah, 13 years ago, I'm putting it in the song. And then all of a sudden, you have a hit with Jake Owen that's getting ready to bounce, because we know it's going to be a hit. I'm not taking it for granted. I'm not just, you know. Yeah. He I'm didn't not, mean it, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It, Bobby, I'm talking like, talk to me about this. You talk about lines and the way you deliver them. 
in my opinion, and I don't know if you can talk about this because I don't know the legalities of publishing. And if you can't just say cut and we'll cut it out, don't care. This is not live. I'll cut it out. I promise you I will. And if you can, I'd love to hear this. You wrote a song with one of our dear friends, Leith Lofton, sure. and it's called Wingman. It is one of the most clever, witty songs and that I've ever heard. When it's played, people say, where do I get it? Who is that? Who wrote that? Well, they don't, a lot of them don't say that. But it's one of the best written songs that I have personally have ever heard. Not just because Lee's a dear friend of mine, because he's got a lot of songs. And I think, and I want you to talk on two things here real quick. What does it take to get that song where it needs to be? And does it have, ever does it have a future? And two, what kind of songwriter and talent is Leith Lofton? Well, let's talk about Leith first. Uh, you know, I saw Leith just in passing. I met him actually with you the first time. I, I might have met both of you individually kind of in passing, but first time I ever had a, a pretty strong conversation, you know, with him. I think y'all were together. And uh, I just had a liking for that guy. I thought he had a passion that you can't teach, you know, just the way he sits on a stool. He sits on a stool, and he feels like he's about to come off the stool. And I'm, a, and I'm similar. And a, and a lot of people can do that, and they can fake the emotion, and they can beat their chest, and they can they can do all that. But just to watch a guy sing within himself, what I call just singing two inches away from himself, and you know, and just kind of running his songs through the crowd without saying, "Hey, y'all, who wants to have a good time?" Just kind of just sitting there entertaining himself and knowing that he feels it, whether you do or not. I think that gives people an opportunity, gives them a license to fly to go, hey man, I like that guy, he likes himself, you know? And I think, like in all things, the most likable people, the most uh, adorable people, are the ones that, in a non-cocky but confident way, dig themselves whether you do or not. And I think that lets the listener off the hook, and I think that's what he had, that's the quality that I thought he has, like, that's a genuine guy. I, I saw it, I was like, he's got a ways to go, he, he needs some help. Uh, you know, and to answer your question, you asked me a similar thing like, how do you determine, how do you determine who's going to make it and who's not? You know, and I've always said, talent decides if you make it and God decides when. And, you know, sometimes that win never happens. And uh, you're racing against age. You know, uh, you got to be 23 in this town. He was 27 when I met him. At 27, you can be 23 or you can be 33. But it's a three or four or five Ooh, year like process. That. And And so now, uh, he's just kind of gone into where he was just seven or eight years behind where he needed to be and not as pliable, and that's what makes him so cool. The artists that make it technically or typically, rather, are not necessarily the ones that are what I just described that I saw at Leith. Sometimes they're the ones that are just the best vehicle. And Leith is, was a guy that's just going to light up a campfire, literally. And in a good way. I don't mean he's campfire music. I just mean he. No, could, I know exactly. He could own a room, and it, and there was just, there's just something about him in a non hey look at me way. But it, there is such thing as too genuine, and I think that was not to break my arm, pat myself on the back. But when you say what's the difference between you, and I'm not saying the ones that make it weren't genuine or right. weren't authentic, but sometimes sometimes the ones that are so true to themselves there's not a lot of meat on the bone for some for a label to come in and go we'll do this do this do this and you know and i've always said i've always been a little more of a statue than the clay and they want the clay and and i and i think he's a statue in his own right and i think that's kind of slowed him up doesn't mean that he can't sell songs or that he's not likable but to sell to the huddled masses and sometimes it's not the heavier songs or the more concrete of an artist that does that. It's the ones that can kind of skate across the top and, and everybody can kind of plug into their system and he was not one of those kind of guys. And he just kind of got a sign on his forehead like I do that just says, you know, don't bullshit me, dude. And, and I think those kinds of guys can have a harder time in a commercial you know, type setting. Is that why a guy like Jamie Johnson is just kind of like... But, you know, Jamie Johnson is a talent, sure. but he doesn't play the game. He's like, oh, you're not going to fade me. I yeah, don't, you I don't think, need to answer that if you don't want to. No, I, I just think that's a, a real wide brush, and there's more answers, and there's probably more questions in there than you realize you ask. And, and because it's not just a cut-and-dry thing. I mean, Jamie's as good as they come, authentic as they come. Uh, I think he's had several – he's been in several different places – where he's come from and how he handles things and attitudes toward things. I think now he's 
he's a different guy probably than when he first started trying to get a deal. And I think if he were to do it now, if he was, if it was 20 years ago now, where his headspace is now, he probably seriously fly. Uh, I just think there's a lot of reasons that that didn't happen, but he's actually thriving on a live thing, and that's what he's cleaned up. You know, uh, for a while, you can have a you can have some success without radio, uh, but you have to do it live. And, and I think he was probably struggling on both of those early on and out and now he's working now he's taking kind of that willie nelson colt mm-hmm. that colt following approach so you said something just now bobby and i want we're going to go right back to how wingman came sure but you just said something to me to where i was like that's one that's a really cool statement you said and i might say this wrong you correct me but you said i'm the statue they want the clay meaning they can manipulate you the way they want you and then you said the word concrete foundation there that's a song now look i'm not sell. i'm i'm just trying to tell you is your my am i on to something when i hear that word i'm like holy shit he just says they want the statue I, or i'm the statue they want the clay is there something that you would take that i wrote it <laughs> you wrote, see like that you that's unbelievable the way that you write that that's freak i heard that and i was like wow that's a guy that is firm in his beliefs Nobody's going to persuade him. He might get off kilter now and then. But you're literally telling me that they want somebody that they could come in there and put their hand up your ass and you're their puppet. And You know, to me, the difference between writing a topical idea like that, um, it's a slippery slope because the songs that mean the most, sometimes you have to tread the water, you have to straddle that fence between writing something that means something to you. And that's what I tell a lot of young writers and a lot of young artists is like, Everybody loves their grandpa. Nobody gives a crap about yours. So you got to figure out, sing about your grandpa and make them love theirs. <laughs> that is you know, so awesome. It's like, and, and, and that's the thing. I could go, I could talk about me and what's wrong with me and why I'm mad. Or I can just bring up these ideas and make you go, hey, that, that's exactly how I felt in seventh grade. You know, and that's the key. That's what you can't teach. Is you got to figure out how do I run my songs through people rather than just sitting here talking about myself. You know, it's like, have you ever had a conversation with somebody and at the takeaway, at the end of the conversation, you're just like, man, I know a lot about that person and they know nothing about me. Well, if you do that to 300,000 people and you just talk about yourself and you don't make them feel anything about themselves, you've lost them. Okay, so let me ask you this and, and, and tell me again if I'm wrong, but this is the way that I internalize the industry or artists. You go to a... A George Strait concert, and we're gonna get back to Wingman, but you just keep opening all these cans of worms that I love. You, we're gonna have part two of this because your life is amazing. It's freaking awesome. So, you go to a George Strait song. I had this conversation with Brent Cobb on this podcast. Love Brent. Amazing. You literally can sing every word to every song, and George doesn't move. There ain't lasers going off. There's not smoke coming up. It's George and his guitar, which he strums, and his band, and he sings his 63 or however many number one hits he's got. You go to a Chris Stapleton concert. Three-piece Nirvana-style deal, unless Morgan's up there. He don't move around a bunch. He never moves. He doesn't come out on a big old catwalk and, hey, get the crowd into it. But you can't go to a Chris Stapleton concert and sing along like you can on a George Strait concert. And you just said something, Bobby Pinson, about he's singing about yourself, but you're trying to get all these other people out there, the 300,000 people in the masses, to internalize that. Is Chris Stapleton missing that part of what you just said? Because it's hard for me to internalize Parachute because it's so dark and it's so deep. And then Traveler. And then all of his songs are not where you go in there and go, Amarillo, by, which is a great song. But am I? do you, do you kind of get yeah, what I'm I saying? I think you're not going to be able to plug anything I say or anything else anybody else says um, into every scenario. There has to be some place where this adoration comes from and and the ones that win create some kind of adoration you know what he manages to do is he sings so good and so loud and it's so present but there's so much emotion and so the takeaway for the people is the emotion they necessarily aren't trying to go figure out what he just said 
they're just emotional in another way because you just listen to that guy and then you go, there's an authenticity. So he's still accomplishing those two things. He still has his authenticity. He still has emotion. He's still doing something that everybody about the ticket can't do. And so whether you're doing that through your songs and what you're saying or you're just doing this ability, you know, uh, and Jamie Johnson had the same thing. Uh, he just got there a different way, and everybody could say, "Well, Jamie Johnson had a chance to be Chris Stapleton." Hear it all had, the time. Had it happened, you know, and uh, and I think Jamie is by by far not done. He's just getting it his way, and it's quieter and it's to the side. But he's still, you know, making a great living and, and touching the people that that want to see him, you know. And he's a no bells and whistles guy, but uh, just a true voice. And and same thing with same thing with. Uh, with Chris, I mean, it's just that talent. I've known Chris a long time. He sang backgrounds on my album, you know, for me. Uh, did he really? He did. Back How, we, when he was, we were the, all kids was that together. Steel Drivers? No. Before that, huh? Mm-hmm. We've been writing songs a long time. You know? But uh, here, here, here's the thing is that if you go hear some of Chris's songs that are commercial when he was just writing songs for other people, um, like I wrote some of it in the room that he was at when he was at the publishing company that I'm at. We have the same room now, so he wrote a lot of those songs, and you know that publishing company has all of his publishing on all his records. Um, now I'm in that room, and that's why I wrote some of it. Uh, good, good juju in that in that room, if you will. But for sure, uh, he he's one of those guys that was writing commercial songs, but then he has what he does as an artist, you know, and it's it's different, and it's just like me, like my commercial songs I wrote. You know, four or five number ones for Sugarland, but that's not what I do as an artist. It's like uh, I just do what I want to do as an artist. It's just kind of having a photographic voice and painting a picture, both vocally and lyrically, um, and just have just kind of singing with my head tilted and more or less just kind of singing a story versus doing a performance. And and I think that works. I think it could have worked better had the timing been different. You know, there's a jillion reasons why. Some people make it, some people don't. Sometimes it's literally just, it's just, sometimes Is there something to be said when you say make it, and you've made it as a songwriter? Do you write, I I say this term, and I don't know if I coined it, Pinson, but I say this term, cubicle country. It just seems like there's some writers out there that sit in a box, and they're just pushing them out, pushing them out. It's a nine-to-five job, cup of coffee kind of deal, feet up on the desk, go do yoga at lunch kind of attitude to me in some of the songs I hear today. You write and you write songs. Waylon and these guys wrote songs when they were high, when they were depressed, when they were happy, when they were sober, when they were, they were always writing. Hank Jr., always writing, always writing. And, I, and Brent Cobb is talking to me about this, about they were always writing. You're, you seem to be that guy that is always writing. On the Harley with Toby, Trace Atkins says something, boom, you leave the party and you're in the back of the bus. You're always writing, right? You have to have your antennas up. You know, you just have to have your antennas up. You have to receive everything at all times. Now, you're not necessarily stopping, hey, y'all get out of the way, I'm going to write this song at midnight. But you have to get these songs and these song ideas wherever they are. You have to have your antennas up. And I tell young writers all the time, I'm like, listen to the world 10 seconds at a time. Just take 10 seconds out of wherever you are and hear some rhythm. Like right now, there's rhythm going on. You, you can hear it, and you're, somebody's tapping right now. Well, that's a tempo. You, you, you know, I wrote the song called It Happens. You know, the sh- It Happens. I had a roller bag, uh, you know, going on across that flat uh, conveyor belt in the airport, you know, to make yeah. it go faster. And I had a roller bag, and it was like, and I, so I, I record the noise that my wheels are making with my phone as I'm dragging this bag across this thing and that wound up becoming the tempo for that song you know and I just dug it out I'm like man that's a really cool rhythm that you would never just have a drummer play and I recorded it and we went and wrote that song I played them I played Jennifer and Christian my my phone noise from my from my luggage and that's how we and we had a road <laughs> no so, freaking way yeah so I got off there but my, my point is you got to get songs wherever they are so that's I'm always writing in that sense I try to straddle that fence because I probably am directly in the middle between being a commercial songwriter and trying to be a real songwriter for of real songs. You know, I'm not saying that people who are having commercial sex aren't real songwriters. I mean, their banker thinks they're real enough. Um, but to me, I just I have to write my bad songs to afford my good song habit. You know, uh, and uh, and I think I think uh, all songs have a job to do, and I it's just. 
it's just checks and balances and it's things in moderation, you know. If all I did was sit around and try to write these songs that are going to change the world three minutes at a time, it's like I always wanted to do that. But then I wrote She's a Hottie and that didn't change anybody's life but mine, you know. Uh, <laughs> I, always wanted to, I always wanted to change people's life in these songs and that one didn't change anybody's life but mine. Uh, but then you write a beers ago and, and, and we... You write a few more cowboys, or you write thirty-five mile an hour town, which is one of my favorite songs. You know, oh, I love that. That song. never really got off the ground with Toe, and uh, it's just you never know which ones are gonna gonna go. You just gotta write you know, what's in your heart. Okay. This year we start with this. We're gonna get we're gonna get back to Wingman right after this. <laughs> this year you wrote some of it with Eric Church, number one. Dirk Bentley and Brother Osborne, Burning Man. Yeah. Number one. Uh-huh. Rearview Town, Jason Aldean. Number one. There was a fourth? Uh, it's it's coming now. It's Homemade uh, by Jayco. Wait, you wrote Homemade? It's been on the radio for six, seven months? Six months? Five months? It's at number eight right now, I'm sure. It's you wrote Homemade? Mm-hmm. God, dude, that is like my favorite Jake Owen song since he did uh, The One That Got Away. Yeah. But you probably are going to tell me he wrote One That Got Away, no, too. No, but I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> you wrote homemade mm-hmm. because and don't i mean again i might be wrong but i honestly thought that it was a rev uh, uh a rebirth of jake owen when i heard it i'm like whoa this is a lot different than 72 and sunny which might be a great song for some people you know ryan hurd wrote that song for luke bryan about the sunrise and sunset great song for some people i think it went number one but when i hear homemade i'm like holy shit dude jake owen's country Jake Owens, country. That's country right there. I swear to God on my life. I, I think heard that. people are doing what they do artistically as artists, and they're starting to gravitate towards the lyric. And people say, hey, do you think country music ever be what it was? I said, I think we're going to get our words back. I don't know that we'll ever get our melodies back. I don't know that we'll ever get our necessarily our subject matter back from the 70s and 80s. And, and you know, you're not woman enough to take my man. Don't know if that's ever going to happen again. But... You know, because the listener is different. Listeners are just, it, there's not the maturity in our listeners that there was in the 70s, 80s, and, and early 90s. Um, and I don't know what caused that, chicken or egg, but, you know, the younger kids, less time to sit around and listen to the lyric. It's just that it's a different customer. And at the end of the day, we can get all caught up in, in what we want, who we are, and what we think we are, and how cool are we, and too cool for school, and how good are my words. You can get caught up in that. But at the end of the day, it's just background music for somebody doing their dishes. And the people that, you know, that forget that are the ones that wonder what happened. And I've, I've just never wanted to forget that. I'm like, I take myself seriously. I need to take myself seriously. I need to take this song seriously. It needs to be the most important thing I'm doing right now. But I need to approach it knowing, hey, man, it's just a service industry. We're trying to give the customer what they want. It's still something you can stomach. still something you can be proud of. Wow. I can't believe you wrote Homemade. <laughs> I mean, I can believe it. I'm just like blown away. Like, holy shit, it doesn't stop. Like, okay, wingman. Yeah. You gotta have a wingman, swing man. Ask questions later, man. Standing right there with... Come on. Wordsmithing does not get better than this song. Now, I'm not saying it might not be your favorite song you've ever written. Oh, it is it's one of my favorite songs. Definitely one of my favorite songs I wrote with Leith, and I thought that song was going to be the one that got him arrested. Uh, in, in a good way, you know, got it, got uh, got us off the ground, um, and it just, I had some traction on it as far as getting people to come see him and, and that sort of thing. I think it's a hit, but I uh, you know, had a lot of people hear that song, and it just, there's a lot of reasons that songs don't get chosen, and it typically has nothing to do with the song. It typically has to do what's going on with somebody else, you know. I mean, somebody could come up and ask you to do something. Hey, can you do this for me next Tuesday? And your answer may be no, but it might have nothing to do with what they ask you to do. It just has to do with Tuesday. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> and it's like. <laughs> that's freaking, that's, I mean, I'm sorry, excuse me. That's freaking awesome, dude. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> I could have probably done it on Thursday, but I can't do it on Tuesday. And and that's a lot what happens in the music. It's like, hey, you love this song. I mean, yeah, I don't hate the song, but I've got a. I've got, you know, something with that same groove, and I've got an, I've got two songs with the word man in it already, and I feel like that's not where I am on this record, you know? And uh, same thing with Eric Church on some of it, you know? Uh, he came in on that song. Uh, we had had it teed up, and he heard it, and he, 
he came in and, uh, and finished it with us and, and then didn't make the record. And he was done with the record. And then all of a sudden, he just called out of the blue. And it was. And we thought, well, maybe we finish the song and, and do another thing and pitch it to whoever else because we think we have a good song here. And then he calls. And they're like, what do you want to do? I said, let's just give it two weeks. And, and if, if nothing happens, then let's figure out how to revive the song and pitch it somewhere else. And, and it had nothing to do with his love for the song or, or, or not. It just had to do with it didn't match his record. And that's the thing I do love and appreciate about Eric is Eric doesn't chase anybody including Eric Church, you know. He doesn't try to do what he did the last time. He doesn't even know what's going on with the record. It just, this might one, this this particular record might have a soul feel or an R&B feel, and this one might sound like 70s. And, and he just does what he wants, and he wants all these songs to be together. He didn't think cohesive, and he didn't think that song was as vibey as the rest of the record. It sounded more like a hit. And so, believe it or not, that's one of the reasons that he just didn't pull the trigger. And his wife was like, you know you're walking away from what's going to be the best song on your record you're being an idiot his and, wife told me yeah that? and and so he was playing his record for somebody and they're like oh, i love your record and she's like well if you love that let me play you the song that didn't make the record and that guy happened to be a, a power player and he's like what are you doing you got it so long story short at the ninth day of that 14 days he just called and said hey, i'm going in and uh and I'm going to cut this record, and the next thing you know, it's, it's history. It's a single, and number one, got nominated for a Grammy. So. Okay, so back to Dr- Wingman. Drew, Drew Keith just sat down, and we've probably heard it live. If we've heard it once, we've heard it a thousand times live. The wordsmithing in it is the best I've heard of all of Lee's songs. I'm not saying that it's one of your best because you got a lot of them, but it is, in my opinion, one of your best of wordplay. If you're not writing that for Leaf, and you talked about it in the beginning of this, sometimes I know the artist I'm writing for. Is there an artist that cuts that song of gotta have a wingman, swing man, ask questions later, man? Is there somebody in Music City right now that makes that a hit that might not necessarily be Leith Lofton? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there's so much politics in, in, there's only three or four song guys out there that will cut it whether they wrote it or not. Uh, most of these guys want to write it and that's their branding and, and they don't want to, even if they're just putting their names on it, unfortunately, that's the truth. Uh, they don't want to walk away from that opportunity, that branding, that 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 money, you know. Uh, but if you get to an artist, and that and that narrows the pool down. But you know, a Coast Swindell, a Jason Aldean, they could have a hit with that. Uh, uh, Cody Johnson could have a hit with that. Oh, I uh, like that. You know, we we cut that song a certain way that was down the middle, sounded like a radio song. And then I went and saw Leith the other day, and he had changed the groove to fit him as a as an artist, you know. And it's you got a chord in there that wasn't in there. Uh, and he likes it that way, you know. Uh, but there's it, it just different things, different production, you know. It, that his new version doesn't hold the tension of the song, uh, not the attention, but just the tension, uh, the way it was originally written. But it fits him as an artist. So, you know, that's <laughs> well, it's not it's not my way versus somebody else's way. It's just different people feel different things, you know. Uh, if I were to pitch it, I would pitch. I would pitch the old thing. I've never pitched that song just because that was the song, you know. But uh, I, I, I haven't given up on the song. I feel like that song uh, will will have it today. You know, you mentioned that I had had a hit, a top five, literally 13 years ago. Uh, I kept saying four years ago for like almost 10 years. So <laughs> I got to give up on that. But uh, yeah, it was like my 10th annual fourth year ago. But. Uh, I had a song called Don't Ask Me How I Know. Not the Garth Ask Me How I Know, but the, Great the Don't song. Ask Me How I Know. Well, Great song. John Hardy's trying to look at that song now, you know, and I can't say that he is or isn't, but he's, you know, called me, we've talked about it, and, and he may re-record that song and, and put his wing on it, you know, and it's been almost, it'll be 14, 15 years since that song, if, if it ever does come to fruition. And... Uh, and I'll be super excited, you know, because I'd love to How hear cool his take on it. Yeah, and he would do a great job by that song. I love parties. Bobby, so. if, if you're telling me that that Wingman is one of the favorite songs that you've written, you kind of said that in so many words. I just can't imagine what else we haven't heard that's out there that you've written, or any songwriter by that means. Sure. Because well, that song, in my opinion, and I'll say this until I'm in my grave, deserves to be heard by the masses. I think it's that good. And there's a several songs that that man has written, and with you, and, and by himself, and other guys that that are legit. And it just, and, you know, we talked about Leith and his career, but that song that you wrote with him, 
it just is like if people hear it and lethal or drew will attest to this when they hear it they want it where do i get that song and i just think like man we're missing the boat in music city that it's not being heard is that music city or any other music city or any other corporate whatever i mean think in your in your industry how many things are a good idea but they're a million dollar idea they're not a 30 million dollar idea and it's like how many million dollar ideas do you just not have time for because it's just you got to work on this 30 million dollar idea and I'm not saying that some artists are just a million dollar idea. My point is, is that you have to jump hurdles that aren't really in the real race. The real race is, did somebody hear that song? Did they like that song? Did they turn to their buddy and go, did you hear what he just said? Did they call their other buddy and go, man, you should have been at the campfire the other night when Leaf was playing? That's what makes the world go around. I didn't have enough time as an artist for that to take off. Had I had three years instead of a year, I might have, you know, shoulda, coulda, woulda, but... That, that's the real test. Are people passing it around, the word of mouth? There is no replacement for word of mouth. You can't buy it. You can't sell it. It just takes a longer time. And, you know, my favorite songs, everybody says, what's your favorite song? My favorite songs, I always say, well, you probably never heard it because, you know, they're not playing those kinds of things. And what makes it a favorite song to me are, are the same things that would make a favorite song to you. Like-minded ideas, you know, good old boy ideas. Not just riding around in a truck, but what happened in the truck. And not just making out with a girl, but losing a girl. You know, it's like the things that make people go, God, it's like this guy's following me around, writing my shit down. Exactly. That's what makes people want to go back to it. Not just groove while they're hearing it, but want to go back to it. Want to find out who wrote it. Want to see who's singing it. Where do I get it? And that's the real true test. Yeah, people relate. But... In Nashville, you got 18 people in charge of who are we signing, when are we putting them out, what song are we putting out. 18 people. All these artists, all these songwriters, you got 18 people and about six record labels making these decisions. And that's where your statement about the live part of the career is vital because Jamie's had, I think, one number one, and he's got tons of great songs, but his live show is mesmerizing. Brent Cobb says his live show is amazing because it's just him in a pair of Crocs with some jeans and a black T-shirt on and that beard and a badass band. No bells and whistles at all. It's like a Willie Nelson stage setup. Sure. And God, by the way, rest in peace, Paul English. Passed away. But you know what I'm saying is like, Jamie's only got one number one hit, right? In color. He's got tons of good songs that that might not necessarily be heard unless it's that word of mouth or that live show. Mm-hmm. When you go to a lead show and you said the way he sits on a stool, he's a character. He's kind of got that 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 old outlaw look to him, and he's just now he's wearing a cowboy hat. Before he was wearing the aviator glasses like Church did for a while. Song to song, in my opinion, he's tough to beat. His lyrics and his presence and his delivery, and nobody knows him. Nobody knows his music. And I could sit here and argue until I'm blue in the face, say, Bobby Pinson, you just said that it's word of mouth. And I could go, Bobby, everybody's talking about wingman, but our circle is. It's our circle, and it's got to be the the circle, right, that's talking sure. about it. Well, and, it's just distribution. It's just like anything else. I mean, look around your booth. What? How much cool stuff do you have sitting here? How much of it does the world know about? You know, it's like you got stuff for sale that people that come to your booth and they see it. Or you have stuff that they can go buy anywhere in any box store. You know, it's like there's two different lanes, two different groups of merchandise. And same thing with songs or artists is that, you know, there's just two different paths. And and there is such a thing as just almost being too authentic or just not something that you can just pedal to the huddle masks. You know, some things are just harder sales than others. Okay, I'm going to take a couple things out of this, but I want to continue this somewhere where we got a little bit more focus. And I apologize for the background noise, but it's NWTF. You said some things today that literally I'm sitting here going, like he said this line a little bit ago. He goes, where he's talking about, he'll hear, so he heard something about a Toby Keith song, pay a little more for a shirt with a tag in the back that says Made in the USA. I asked him where he got that, and he told me a story. He's on a bus, Trace Atkins, Toby Keith, he runs back, he writes that down, boom. Then he talks about how he got the red rattle, the rattle red can of spray paint on the hand-me-down truck. And then he said a line that I didn't know that, you know, I was just like, man, that's a song. And he goes, I'm the statue, they want the clay. And I went, holy shit, like, 
that's not to be manipulated with. And I go, that's a song. And he goes, I know, I wrote it. <laughs> and I was like, you son of a bitch, I thought I was writing a song. But it's unbelievable that you can do that and then turn it in to revenue and a livelihood that most people would be like, well, how does a songwriter make money? And we're going to get into that on the next podcast. Bobby Pinson, first off, thank you. You got it, man. Second off, congratulations on your fourth run of number ones, which is unheard of. I don't know what how Dean Dillon did it and what his time frame was in the 80s and the 90s a little bit with George, but four runs of number ones where people, I literally personally was like, well, Bobby Pinson must not write anymore. And then all of a sudden just boom, 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 boom. And it's just congratulations. Thank you. And I can't wait to, to go back and tell my ex-wife because I told her one day, I mean, we're good friends. I said, homemade is an unreal, because she loves Jake Owen. Sure. And we both love that song, the one that got away. He wrote homemade. And I'm sitting there going, you wrote homemade? I didn't even know it. And that's going to go number one. And, it's unfreaking real, man. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. We'll do part two soon. Sure. Thank you for listening to This Life Ain't For Everybody. Tom, please hit that button. This is Leith Lofton, written by Leith Lofton and Drake White. What you gonna do when the money's all gone? Say life on earth won't last that long. What you gonna do when the money's all gone?